So we're uh, continuing our look uh, through the book of Nehemiah. We're up to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 8. Um, and it's a great passage, uh, favorite passage of, of preachers because uh, it's a six-hour uh, sermon is what's, uh, what's, what's recorded here uh, in, in this text. So, you know, anytime... Uh, pastors get a chance to have a captive audience and talk for six hours. I'm sure it made Ezra's day. But um, um, it's, a, it's a good passage for us to uh, uh, think through this morning, particularly uh, as it relates to the value uh, of the Word of God to us. And so in light of that, let me pray, and then I'll read the text. Lord, thanks today for loving us. Thanks for uh, revealing yourself to us uh, in an accessible way. Lord, you have spoken to us uh, in the Bible. You've spoken to us in your written word. And you've spoken to us in the uh, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so uh, you are very clear uh, to us about who you are. And so I pray that um, we would be moved and challenged and comforted by that today. We ask in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, so we're going to read Romans uh, 8, 1 uh, through 8. Uh, that Again, the text is uh, uh, in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Machijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So at the early service, I had everybody stand while I read the, the scripture because um, uh, that's what they did here when Ezra read the Bible, everybody stood up. But Paul's had y'all stand enough already in here, so I thought uh, I'd give you a, a break and let you, uh, let you sit uh, this morning. But... Um, so, uh, interesting passage where the people of God gather together uh, and they hear the Bible read to them and explained to them uh, for about five or six hours, right? That won't, that won't fly with most white people, will it? 
Uh, we, uh, church is supposed to be an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes, and that's it, right? Uh, get in, get out, get on with it, you know? There's brunch, sports, uh, whatever else it is you have uh, to do uh, for the day, right? So, so for, for most of us, you know, we, we read something like this, we see something like this, and we, we're, uh, we just kind of let that, okay, they did that, and um, uh, that's just not something that I would ever want to do. Stand for five hours, hear the Bible read and preached, have people working the crowd, explaining it to people kind of in small groups in the crowd while they do that, forget it. I got other things I need to do. Um, this morning at the 9 o'clock service also, uh, I had the opportunity to baptize a baby. Uh, in uh, the uh, pandemic, when you baptize a baby, you wear a mask and you use gloves uh, and you use super clean water to do that, right? Um, it was weird, uh, anxiety producing for me in, in many ways, but in other ways, it reminded me of this truth. And that is, regardless of what is happening uh, in terms of illness, uh, social unrest, political division, there are some things and there is one person that remains constant and true. And it is important for us in times like this to remember that and to value that. Now I'm going to talk to you today about the Word of God, the Bible. And what I do not want to happen today is for you to feel guilty because you don't read the Bible enough. Let me go ahead and stipulate at the very beginning, you don't read the Bible enough. Okay? Got that out of the way. You don't do it. But what I would rather have you think about today is uh, be captivated in love for this God who gives you his written word. He is not silent. He has spoken. He has spoken to us in the Bible, and he has spoken to us in Jesus Christ. And that's important for us, because I came across this, uh, this item this week. I can put my notes up there. This is a, an article um, about uh, people's Bible reading habits, right? So bear with me. Uh, this is from the Barna Group, and so that Barna makes his money off of um, polling the church and delivering bad news. And so... Um, so he writes this, at the beginning of 2020, polling by the American Bible Society and Barna Group found that scripture engagement by adults in the U.S. had risen to 70.9 million, its highest level since measurement by the two organizations began in 2011. A follow-up, which is good news, so you know that it's got to get bad. A follow-up survey in June, though, showed that the COVID-19 crisis has significantly reduced Americans' engagement with the Bible. Did you know that? Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? Right? Um, so the state of the Bible polling found that as of the first week of June, scripture engagement among adults had fallen from 27.8% to only 22.6%. 
representing some 13.1 million Americans who were no longer consistently interacting with the Bible in a way that shaped their choices and transformed their relationships with God and others. So we read this. I read this uh, this week, and when I first saw it, I thought, well, you know, this is a good thing because God is calling out the lame, uh, lukewarm people who really aren't committed, and so we're getting down to the committed people. Except that, the next paragraph said, the largest changes were in the groups classified as (laughs) Bible-centered, i.e. people who say their values, principles of Scripture, are central to their life choices and relationships, and Bible-engaged, which I'd take either one of those. You know, it'd be great for some of us to be Bible-centered. It'd be great for some of us to be Bible-engaged, i.e. people who say the values and principles of Scripture mostly influence their relationships with God and others, and to a lesser degree, the Bible also influences their life choices. The percentage of Bible-centered shrank by 3.8%, or 9.7 million American adults, while the Bible-engaged category shrank shrank by 1.7%, or 4.3 million adults. So here's the thing. The the point that that's making is it's a lot of numbers and that kind of stuff is, you know, I, I would think that when things get hard, right, because uh, one of the things, drumbeats we have around here all the time is, you know, beware of, be distrustful of good times. Be wary, be distrustful when things are easy. Uh, because we, we tend to fall asleep during those times. That, but when God puts pressure on us and, and the situations become uh, more dire, more uncertain, more difficult, we tend to turn more towards uh, uh, God in those moments to seek his comfort, to seek him to understand him, to understand what he's doing. Well, in in actual fact, at least over the last six months, based on this story, we're doing less engagement with the scriptures. And what's disconcerting about that is, is I think, um, and I I get it, and I think one of the things that, 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 that we understand about that is people are just tired and it's just hard, right? Uh, this week with the announcements from schools uh, that vir- most of the schools around Richmond are going to be virtual this fall, uh, and, and we don't have back to school anymore. I've noticed already the advertising is back to learning. I sure hope it is. <laughs> um, but I, as I, I allow me a, a personal opinion about this, and I I'm married to a teacher who I know will have to go into a classroom with a bunch of snotty noses uh, soon. Um, I think uh, this is in many ways going to uh, widen gaps uh, in our society and our culture. And I worry that there are some children who will never catch up. so that was heavy on me this week. I work with some moms who, when word of this came out, uh, their response was, I can't think about this right now. It's just too hard. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and so in moments like that, when you're overwhelmed when things are so hard, it would seem to me that a thing to do, a place to do, would be to, to hear from God. 
Now, I know the Bible is overwhelming, uh, and I know uh, that the scriptures sometimes seem inaccessible to us. That's why uh, this week in the letters that I've written, we're, we're focusing on you know, faith, hope, and love. Very, very simple, straightforward kind of uh, foundational things because uh, it's important in times like this for us to ground ourselves, remind ourselves that God has spoken and he has things to say to us even in the midst of very difficult times. And so what we have in the situation that we live in today is uh, a pressurized, unusual situation uh, where things are disrupted and more than ever probably we need the comfort and the clarity that God's clarion call to us in his word to see him and to know him is given to us. And so today we see this, this text where we have this group of people gathered together outside. They build up a, a, a pulpit and the Bible is read and discussed for five to six hours. Now, uh, if you've been following along with us, you know that Ezra has not been around for quite a few chapters, uh, that he has kind of faded from uh, the... Uh, the main scene, and uh, Nehemiah has been the, the primary leader and the person that uh, we've spent the most uh, time and attention on. However, for the rest of the book of Nehemiah, he's barely mentioned, and when he is mentioned from here on out, he's in the third person. Also, to, to note, you know, Nehemiah is a great builder, he's a great leader, he's a great uh, administrator, but he does not take it upon himself to teach the Word of God to the people. He doesn't take it upon himself uh, to be the one who does this, uh, uh, Ezra is the one, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites are the ones uh, who, who do this, right? So uh, another thing to note about this text is that when they gathered together to read the scriptures and when they gathered together uh, to uh, hear this teaching, they stood. Uh, and it also says that they said amen and they raised their hands. Now, um, one of the things uh, about that is that there are churches in our denomination, many churches in our denomination, perhaps the majority of them, have people stand when the scriptures are read. Uh, and they do it because of this text. The, the problem with that is, and that's fine if you want to do that. Uh, we've done that uh, here in, in times past. The, the problem with that is the Bible nowhere says whenever you gather for worship and the scripture's read, everybody stands up. It just simply describes that here's what's happened. Now, there is the case, there are places in the Bible where it says to raise holy hands to God, uh, and there are places in the Bible where it says to say amen. Now, uh, we don't do that here because we are fully engaged in the Presbyterian slouch. And so, because we don't, we don't want to use our bodies, because somebody might misunderstand that, and we certainly don't want to use our voices when someone's preaching, Right? Um, years and years ago, back when we were still worshiping in the, the gym, there was a family that lived near us who were looking for a church. They came to our church. And uh, they loved it, on fire, everything's great. We had a worship service one day. Uh, it was a good worship service. I didn't remember anything particularly unusual about it, but we went home. Uh, before I'd even gotten in the door very far, the phone was ringing, and this was this lady who said, I want to talk to you about what happened at church today. So I'm like, uh-oh, you know, this is what a, what a great Sunday afternoon. This is going to be awesome. And she says, 
we can't come back to your church. And I was like, well, well, why not? You know, we need bodies. We're a new church. What, what can I do to fix that? And she said, well, two things happened today. I heard clapping, and I saw people raise their hands. And I said, well, you know, honestly, I wouldn't mind a little more of that. And uh, they've never been back since then. So, so the... So the so, so the, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, we don't, we, we promised that we would never manipulate you into responding. We promised we'd never manipulate you into saying amen or manipulating you into raising your hands or manipulating you and saying that you need to stand for the, for the, for the reading of the scriptures. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt us when we gather together uh, to experience the freedom to be able to say, you know, that's a good thing that I heard there. I want to respond to that. Uh, I want to raise my hands to receive whatever God has for me uh, and uh, to be a little more physical in the way in which we worship wouldn't be a bad thing. But we're not going to manipulate, uh, manipulate you into that. But what's important for us to understand about that is these physical manifestations, even the bowing down and the kneeling and the stuff that the people did there, was an expression of the value of what was happening, right? Uh, it is a profound thing that these people came together because they had a sense that they needed to hear from God. Now, uh, next slide, please. Uh, one, one of the things uh, that's important for us to understand about this is, is the Bible is so available to us that it doesn't seem very valuable, you can get it on your phone. You can get it, you know, uh, playing in your ears all the time. You, you know, there's a million different translations. There, the Bible is everywhere, right? In this case, in Ezra's time, in Nehemiah's time, it wasn't like that. In fact, for most of human history, up until about 500 years ago, the Bible was largely inaccessible to most people. That's why in Europe, when you go to a cathedral, you see all of these great stained glass windows. People couldn't read Latin, uh, or it, they couldn't read at all. And so the stories of the scripture were displayed to them with images, right? We don't have that problem. We have the Bible everywhere. These people didn't have the Bible like that. First of all, because the Bible came in scrolls, not in books. Scrolls are big. Scrolls are heavy, scrolls are uh, expensive, they're hard to handle. You just don't, you know, nobody has a set of Bible scrolls at their house, right? There's only a few scrolls in the whole world during this time, right? Secondly, the other thing to note about this is, and one of the reasons why the people have to fan out to talk about the scriptures here is, that these scrolls, the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those books were written in Hebrew, these people who are gathered here to, for this worship service, not a one of them, except for Ezra and probably some of the uh, 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 Levites, speaks Hebrew. Everybody else speaks Aramaic. That's the language Jesus spoke. And, and no one has spoken Hebrew here for years and years and years. So it's going to take a long time. It would be like me getting up here to read the New Testament to you in Greek... And while I'm doing it, this would take forever, it would be for me to translate it for you while I'm doing that. I could do it, but it would be painful. 
awkward and ugly. You wouldn't want to do that. It would be, it would be hard to stick with that. So, so the, the fact of the matter is they don't cover the whole five, uh, first five books of the Bible. They probably only covered a handful of verses uh, that they were able to say, this is what's really important. This is what God wants you to know in this time where we finish the wall, where the temple is rebuilt, and, and God is reestablishing his people here. Here's some basic things you need to know about the scripture. Those of us who are in here today who've hardly ever read the Bible, who know very little about the Bible, probably know way more Bible than these people did because it just wasn't available to them. It just wasn't accessible to them. And so here they are gathered together for five or six hours to hear the word read to them and to have it explained to them, right? That is, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty profound thing, right? So one of the things that I'm afraid of for us is that what happens to us is when times get hard or things get difficult, rather than going to think, what does the Bible have to say to me about this? What does God have to say to me about this? We shrink back from that and we listen to the loudest, most uh, affirming voice that we can find that already goes along with our preconceived notions. One of the ways we know that we're interacting with God and one of the ways we know we're interacting with the God of the Scriptures is that to occasionally have him say to us, stop doing that. What you did there, that was a sin. Repent. You know, when, when, and that's why the scriptures are alive to us and why God uses those to kind of challenge us and comfort us rather than us being thrown back upon our own kind of resources to figure out how to think, how to feel, how to walk through the world. Sometimes I hear people in our congregation say, the Bible's so hard, just give me Jesus, right? Now, first of all, I don't know, maybe you got a plastic Jesus somewhere or, or, or another Jesus somewhere who's talking to you or helping you here or whatever, but, but we know about Jesus and we know what Jesus thinks because of the Bible. But beyond that, Jesus loved the Bible. He loved the Bible. Um, and uh, uh, it, it mattered to him, right? We see that uh, in uh, Luke chapter 4, after Jesus uh, has uh, and, and the devil share their favorite Bible verses with each other out in the wilderness. You remember that story, right? They both, they both share a little Bible with one another. Jesus comes off of that, and it says... He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding countries, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So what did he do? Well, when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now, this, is a, this, is a, you, this, this flows here in the, this description, but when Jesus went into the synagogue at Nazareth, and he says, bring me the scroll of Isaiah, and he takes the scroll and he unrolls it, and unrolls it and unrolls it until he gets to the place where he wants to read. Now, now, it's interesting that Jesus chooses to read from the scroll. Jesus is God. He kind of wrote Isaiah, right? I mean, he, he knows what's in there. 
Uh, but he is saying something to us by the fact that he is using this scroll, reading from the scripture for the people. It probably took him 10 minutes to find this, to establish what he was doing, and then, and then he reads, right? And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, he goes on with this to begin to explain this scripture to the people because the problem with the people in Nazareth is not unlike our problem, and that is we will count on and entrust ourselves to almost anything other than the grace of God to have our standing before the Lord. And so he begins to say to them, listen, you, you people are uh, uh, trusting in your uh, ethnic identity as Jews uh, for your righteousness, and I am here to tell you that God is no respecter of persons. So he goes on to tell them that by using these Old Testament examples. Next slide. Next slide. Um, and so what happens is, he, he tells them about Naaman, he tells them about the widow and Zarephath, he does all of that, and then it says, verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing uh, through their midst, he went away. Now, here's the thing that you read about that is, so Jesus is going, he goes back to his hometown, he goes to preach at, at church, he, has them re he reads the scriptures to them, he explains the scriptures to them, and there's a reaction, an angry reaction. Such an angry reaction that they want to take him outside of the synagogue and they want to kill him. Now, I, I tell you that not because I want you to do anything remotely like that this morning, but what I, what, I, what I do want you to understand is there's a principle here to us when we think about the reading and the preaching of the Word of God, and it's this. You may think you can come and read, you can come and hear, you can come and participate in instruction in the Scripture and come away unchanged. But what we know is, and what the promise of God to us is, is that because the Spirit of God makes the Word of God alive, that whenever it is read, whenever it is spoken, and whenever the Word of God is taught, it causes a reaction. Sometimes it makes people mad. Sometimes it makes people cold. Sometimes it makes people hard. Sometimes it makes people come alive. Sometimes it makes people uh, do, it, it, it does all kinds of, of things like that. Don't think that you come and hear the word of God and, and that it leaves you the way it found you. Now, what's terrible about that is, is that if we think that we can interact with the Word of God, that we can see it, we can hear it, and act as if it's just other words, then we're in trouble. You see, the Scripture is the authoritative spoken Word of our God. He talks to us, not so much to instruct us on how to live, but so that we would know Him, so that we would understand who He is and what His heart is for us. You may be thinking, during the pandemic, during the difficulties, during the stress of all this, God is silent. He is not. God is not silent. 
He is speaking very clearly to us, certainly through our circumstances, but infallibly and authoritatively to us in the Scripture. Do you need to be comforted today? Do you need to have energy today? Do you need to be encouraged today? Do you need to be convicted today? Do you need to be challenged today? Don't get it from MSNBC or Fox News or the Richmond Times-Dispatch. The truth of where we are and the truth of who we are is spoken to us in the Scriptures. Now I know, if you're like me, uh, it is really hard for me to pay attention these days. Um, Marty wanted to go to Lowe's yesterday. We went to Lowe's and she wanted to get one thing and I was thinking about something else. And so we got the thing that she wanted and I go and I'm trying to check out uh, in a socially distant way uh, I've got two lengths of pipe, 10 feet long, that she wanted. That's a little interesting to try to find the thing on it to shoot it with the gun. No, no customer service to speak of. I was distracted. I wanted to get out of there. I was hot, hungry, all the deadly things. And so, um, so we get out to the truck, and I'm going to put the pipes in the back of the truck, and of course I don't have my keys. Why? Because I left my keys at the at the um, uh, where I was checking out because I was holding them in my hand rather than putting them in my pocket, right? And I realize what that is. Man, I am stressed out. I am distracted. It is hard for me to pay attention to anything. So to ask me to read the Bible and to understand it is asking too much. Right? Well, here's, here's the thing. Um, well, let me urge upon you today, find one verse, find one phrase that God has spoken and, and just think about that. Let that be the source of information for your day uh, to carry you and to move you. Um, my fear for us is that because the Bible is so available to us, but other things seem more attractive, shinier, uh, more interesting, that we are moved and challenged by things other than this revelation of God himself. Don't let that happen to you. I know it's hard. I know it's tiring. I know it's challenging. Find a verse. Find a phrase uh, that you can meditate on, you can think about even for two minutes a day uh, that comes to us from the scriptures. You see, that is, that, that is the way for us, not just to come up with principles for living, but to understand and, and to come to grips with the fact that there is a God who knows us, who loves us, 
who died for us, who rose again for us, who has spoken to us and is still speaking to us in a way that can encourage, challenge, and direct us. Would you do that this week? Uh, Let's pray to that end. Lord, help us today because we... um, we tend uh, to forget uh, the value uh, that is ours and the fact that we have a God who reveals himself, who speaks, who's not silent, who's not distant. Help us with that. Um, Lord, you know our weakness, you know our fatigue, you know our distraction. And so I pray by your spirit you would draw us to your word. Um, and even if it's just a tiny bit of your word, you would open us up to it today. Would you help us? Uh, Would you uh, give us the grace uh, uh, and uh, the energy uh, just to see you and to hear you and what you have spoken? Uh, We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's confess our sins together by using uh, the confession that's uh, printed in the bulletin also up on uh, the screens behind me. Father in heaven, we confess that we have sinned against you and our thoughts, words, and deeds. You have spoken definitively by your Son. Forgive us for living as if you never act, never hear, never speak. Forgive us for the vigilante justice we pursue through our plotting, slander, gossip, self-righteous anger, and passive aggression. Forgive us for living as if you do not care for us. Forgive us and cleanse us. Fill us with your spirit that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Believer, uh, hear these words from your Father. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Like us as we continue to worship. <laughs> 